0: Well, good morning, everybody. hope you're enjoying your fourth, getting some uh, rest, relaxation, some fun. Um, We're going to pray in a minute. Thank God for the great nation he's given us. It was great to listen to General Boykin on Wednesday. Uh, Just, yeah, it was, man. Uh, Just going over the founding of our country and then just talking about uh, the freedom that he was involved in and the price men paid. It was just uh, energizing to remember that God has made America a beacon of light. We've got some books out in the atrium for you, uh, one written by an Australian and then another by an Indian American about America, so uh, you should always be reading about God's hand through the nation. Those are great books that I highly recommend. I want to switch gears for a minute. Uh, A couple years ago, our advisory board approved uh, for me to go on a one-month sabbatical, and that starts Wednesday, so... I will be gone for a month. Thank you. Some of you couldn't wait for me to leave. Sick of me. Um, So, here's how it it came to be. Pastor Shem's from uh, Kenya, and one year he came to us and said, Hey, can I lump all my vacation together and go to Kenya for a month? And we said, you know what, you don't have to lump your vacation together. Why don't you take a one-month sabbatical, then I'll take one, and then Steve will take one. All three of us have been here 22 years. So um, even though I get three or four weeks vacation, I've never been off more than one week at any time. So I'll be going for a month, no reading for preaching, no teaching, no writing, no texting the office, no iPad, uh, just a chance for me to be refreshed and rewired and all that. So you guys are in great hands. Um... You know well, we have great guests coming, sizzling summer uh, is off and running, so people say, "Well, how can we pray for you and uh I would just say, pray that I would um really really refresh myself in God. I promise myself I'm just going to read the Bible and maybe one other book that I'm bringing with me, and I just want to see life from a different perspective. I am changing geography, staying in this area would have been difficult, so uh just pray that God kind of meets me, and I come back a more diligent and seasoned leader, and so I'm looking forward to all that. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 13, and God, we do pray for America. Lord, we hear so many voices saying America's right for judgment, and Lord, we don't know where we are in, in the scheme of things. We have no idea uh, what you're doing, Lord. I'm bullish on America. I'm bullish on the church. God, I believe our greatest days could be ahead of us. And Lord, if, if the economy gets pressed, if we get pressed by other things, Lord, the church usually rises up. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for this freedom. Uh, it's an anomaly in the history of the world that, that the voice of the people would matter and we'd, have it, and we'd have these inalienable rights of freedom of speech and freedom to gather here as we're doing now. It, it's wonderful. It's amazing. So God, speak to us this morning because we're longing for a greater kingdom. Lord, this pales in comparison to the kingdom that Jesus one day will lead. So, Lord, enlighten us, speak to us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? He says, It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden. And it grew and became a very large tree. In other words, it was an anomaly. It grew larger than it should. So even the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? He said, it's like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leaven. So two little short parables with great meaning this morning. We call these kingdom parables. They're sprinkled all through the Gospels. Where Jesus teaches us what the kingdom of God's like by using a metaphor, by, by giving us a short parable. It's a demonstration of what God's realm looks like. What is the sphere of influence in our world where Jesus is recognized as king? It's very important because even during his ministry and during his time, Jesus said there were places where he could do no miracles. Remember, even in Nazareth, his hometown, he could do no miracles because of the lack of faith. He told the disciples... Look, you're going to go into towns, you're going to be accepted, heal the sick, and preach the gospel there. He said there's other places where they won't receive you. And he told them to shake the dust off their sandals. So, you know, the sphere of influence, the kingdom of God, where where Jesus is recognized as the rightful king. The kingdom of God is both the human and cosmic, the experience and the immediate ultimate Where God functions as king. Now, I love when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. I really do. It fascinates me because he's the only one that that embodied it. He is the king. He had seen it. Think of that wonderful classic scene in John chapter 3 where he comes to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, Jesus will tell us, is the teacher in Israel. That means no one knows more about God than Nicodemus, at least intellectually. And Jesus comes to this man, and Nicodemus says, you know, uh, you've done great miracles, no one can do what you're doing unless God be with him. And he said, Nicodemus, let's get right to it. You know, you're a very learned man, but unless you're born again, unless you're born from above, unless you're born of the Spirit, you can't even begin to see the kingdom of God. And then Jesus blows his mind by telling him, he said, we speak what we know and have seen. No one has ascended into heaven except Uh, He who has come down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. You ever see a dog just like turn its neck? Nicodemus is thinking, what are you talking about? You know, Jesus would say things like, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And Nicodemus is like, what is going on? And Jesus said, there's something that has to change, Nicodemus. The seed of the word of God has to go into your heart. And then it will produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. And you'll be able to see the kingdom For the first time in your life. And Nicodemus says, How can I be born again? And Jesus said, You have to be filled with the Spirit because the Spirit's like the wind. You don't know where it came from, you don't know where it's going, and so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. And Jesus would teach about the kingdom of God, he would demonstrate it. You know, that day in the synagogue, he said, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor, to open blind eyes, to open deaf ears to heal those who are brokenhearted. And then slowly but surely he demonstrated every miracle was restoring man to the realm and the condition for which they were created. When Jesus fed 5,000, he was telling us God never wants anyone to go hungry. God never wants someone to be blind. God's kingdom, when it comes into our realm, Jesus said, people are restored to the place they were created to function in. And that was the demonstration of his ministry and his miracles. Now, to understand the kingdom, you have to understand why Jesus told the parable. So I hope you have your Bibles this morning. If you back up into Luke 13, verse 10, it says, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. It was very common to have an itinerant rabbi come in. And behold... Now, Luke's a doctor. Luke says, look, I want you to stop here. I want you to think about this. Ponder this Sabbath day among all other Sabbath days. There was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and she was bent over and could by no means raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself, and he said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, this is the caretaker, this is the guy who conducts the services, was filled with anger because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he says to the crowd, can you imagine what he looks like? He says, there's six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Yeah, right. Like, I'm sure healing's going on every other day but Saturday in his synagogue. There has probably been no life in this synagogue for ages. This woman who's bent over, who's been there 18 years, gets healed, and he's angry. And the question we're going to find out is, who is Satan bound more, the ruler of the synagogue or this woman who's bent over? Jesus looks at him and says, you hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? And by the way, that's not in the Word of God. That was in their their writings in the Mishnah. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, she's a believer, whom Satan has bound, think of it these 18 years, be loosed on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that God had done through him. Now, Please don't get hung up on the healing. We could spend all day talking about how God heals, does God heal, is healing for today. How come some people don't get healed? What you need to understand by this story is Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. And there's many times in Luke where we see maladies or sickness like this, where Jesus heals someone. There's other times where there's pure demonic activity. Luke understands this. Somehow Luke looks at this woman bent over and comes to the conclusion that she has been bound by Satan for 18 years. Now, that doesn't mean every time you get sick, Satan has inflicted you. I just had a stomach flu, and then it left. You know, I live in a fallen world. If you get a cold or or if you're sick, it doesn't mean Satan is binding you. It means we live in a fallen world where genes have gone awry. So we get sick in this fallen world. But in this particular case, this woman, who was bent over for 18 years, was inflicted and bound by Satan, which shows us another kingdom. See, that's the point here. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of Satan. There is a realm of darkness. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There is a, there is a kingdom of darkness. This is very real. And in that kingdom, people are reduced to something less than human, something less than God created them. Think about this woman. I don't know the condition. She's bent over. I've seen people like this in the Middle East. They they're bent so low, their faces to the ground. She looks at the dirt every day. Can she comb her hair? Can she brush her teeth? I don't know. Can she get to the synagogue? She's there every week, but somebody carry her. She can't look someone in the eye, she can't hold a conversation if she has children, she can't hold them in her arms. She's bent over. She can't look into the heavens. She can't look at the stars and see the glory of God. She can't do any of the things you and I take for granted every day. And she's bound in some way, not only physically, but I think spiritually. And we look at the kingdom of darkness, and the Bible says before you got saved, you were led by Satan to do his will. And I know we shrink back from that, right, because we're, we're learned, we're intellectual. Oh, come on, you really think I was following Satan? Yeah, you were. You know, you thought you were doing your own thing, but the truth is you were doing what everybody else was doing. There's a long and a broad road that leads to destruction. And everybody on that road is doing the same thing. No no, no one's incarnationally coming up with something new. Everybody's following the crowd. And you don't have to be this woman bent over. You can be on Wall Street and be bent over. Because we live in a world where anxiety is the order of the day and people are they're bent over with guilt and shame and sickness and disease and they're bent over by the cares of this world and by family and relationships. And Jesus walks in that synagogue and the demonstration of his kingdom and his being lord. He says, "Woman, you're loosed." Because this is why I've come. I've come to straighten people up, to put them back together, to put them in the place they were originally designed. This is the realm, and one day this is what the entire world will look like. This was the demonstration of his kingdom. And by the way, if you get caught up in healing, she didn't ask to be healed. For 18 years she's come to the synagogue. She didn't come because it was a healing service. I tell people this all the time. I, I, and I'm going to say because I just heard it again where, where, where I was talking to a couple and they say, oh, we don't go to church, we listen to this guy in Georgia on the internet. I'm like, well, listen to this guy from Georgia on the internet, but get into a body. Because Hebrew says we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we gather more and more. There's something unique about the mystical gathering of the body of Christ. And not only does God do something spiritually, and by the way, your presence here helps somebody else out. And how many times do you meet somebody in the foyer and, and they know somebody and you get a job and you meet this person and something else happens? Or you meet somebody who has the sickness you have and you walk through it together and your kids meet other. I mean, there's something about us being together. This isn't the Phillies game. It's not a movie theater. We are the mystical body of Christ. And the reason I bring that up is because for 18 years, bent over, she's in the synagogue. And this is an imperfect place. This is a place where the ruler is indignant about healing, and she's still there. You know, I know people, if the air condition is not right, they don't play the right songs, they're not there. And what if she missed this day? This would have been the day. And Jesus overrides religion and intellectual acumen, and he puts his hand on this woman, and he says, you're loosed. The Bible says the kingdom of God is peace, joy, love, and the Holy Spirit. It's lifting human beings back to the dignity for which God created them. And Jesus comes in demonstration of this kingdom. And how does it happen? It happens very slowly. It's like the mustard seed or like, it's like the yeast. Just like evil takes time, right? Satan, you know, I'm going to exalt my throne above God, the seven I wills, and then he deceives Eve. You know, just like evil grows... Jesus said, This is how my kingdom grows, and it grows slow. It's like a mustard seed. Now, I actually have some mustard seeds in my drawer, in a little packet. Thought about ordering thousands and giving them out today, but you guys, they'd be all over the floor because they're the size of a pinhead. They're the smallest thing you've ever seen. That's the point here. Something so small has so much power. 1 Peter 1.23, that we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, the word of God that lives and abides forever. This little seed, this small thing has so much power, and what it can produce is amazing. We live in a world that bows to bigger things, bows to beauty, right? We have mega malls, mega churches, mega movie theaters. And so we look at large things, and we think God has to be in it. no. God sent his son to a stable to be born. Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. Jesus didn't launch out in ministry. He could have at 18, 15, 14. He waits till he's 30. He calls 12 men, all non-intellectuals. He travels for three years. He dies on a cross between two thieves. That sea goes into the ground. 120 gather in the upper room. They have no resources, no political clout, no organization. And they turn the world upside down. Every once in a while, every Christian should go back at least every five years and read Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about the invasion. And he says in the invasion, Very well then, atheism is too simple. I will tell you another view that is also too simple. It's the view I call Christianity and water, the view which simply says there's a good God in heaven and everything is all right, but it leaves out all the difficult and terrible doctrines about sin and hell, the devil and redemption. He said these are mere boys' philosophies. What is the problem? A universe that contains, contains much that is obviously bad and apparently meaningless, but contains creatures like ourselves who know That it's bad and meaningless. You know what Lewis is saying? He said, one of the proofs of God is we live in a world and we know it's evil. You don't have to tell people at the networks that do news and all that we live in an evil world. Read history books. Not only is there evil and purposelessness, the amazing thing is there's creatures that know it's evil and purposeless. Lewis went on to say, That there is only two views that face these facts. One is the Christian view that, that in a good world, something has gone wrong, but there still is the memory of what ought to have been. And the other view is called dualism. Then he spends the rest of the chapter kind of debunking that idea. He said, enemy occupied territory. That's what this world is. Satan has infiltrated with the kingdom of darkness. Christianity is the story how the rightful king has landed you might say in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage when you go to church you are really listening into the secret wireless from our friends that is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going he does it by playing on our conceit or laziness or intellectual snobbery I know someone will ask me do you really mean at this time of day to read introduce our old friend the devil, hoofs and horns and all. Well, what time of day do I care what it is, Lewis said, and I'm not particularly fond of hoofs and horns. But in other respects, my answer is yes, I do. I do not claim to know anything about his personal appearance. If anybody really wants to know him better, I would say to that person, don't worry, if you really want to, you will. You don't even have to think about it. Open up to Newspaper. And you'll know that Satan is alive on planet Earth. There is a realm of darkness. And Jesus said there's a kingdom that is breaking through that realm. That there's a beachhead the gospel can bring. That the gates of hell wouldn't wouldn't keep us out. That we can, you know, this church, you know, we put a beachhead here. The early church had a beachhead. The gospel would go into all the world. Wherever the gospel lands, it's a beachhead. And wherever Jesus is Lord, this kingdom And this realm begins to grow, and it has for 2,000 years. And here we are on the 4th of July, and we're here in a nation because God had ordained that the hand of providence put us here. You know, the framers of the Constitution and and the great clergymen in this country and and the leadership and people that follow the winds of the Spirit. Christianity changed Europe. It's changing Korea, China. We think of the institutions, the great churches and YMCA and boys clubs and girls. I mean, the list would go on and on. Like yeast, it's permeated the entire globe. It's almost hard to go anywhere where the name of Christ isn't named and where there's not a cross. All from 120 people in an upper room with no resources, no power, no political clout. And we look at this mustard seed and we say, wow, that's that's amazing. It's so powerful, but it begins small. And I think what God's saying to us is don't despise the day of small things. I know we like to see big things, so do I. I look at the early church. They love meeting in the homes. They love going to the temple. There's sometimes where we need to see crowds or sometimes wherever two or three are gathered. We need both. I look back on my own life at this principle. I get saved at 21 years old. Mustard seed faith. My father's an alcoholic. His father's an alcoholic. My mother's father's an alcoholic. She would be married and divorced three times. My mom was Catholic, but she was into kind of the dark side. She would do seances when I was six years old at the table. We lived in a haunted house, believe it or not, for six months. Some of you were saying, oh my gosh, I was invited to this church, I'll never come back. Pastor lived in a haunted house. I told my wife that on our first date. It's unbelievable. I said, I lived in a haunted house, and she stayed with me. It's amazing. My mom took me to see The Exorcist when I was 12, and I paid her back by sleeping in her bed for the next three years. So I grew up in this weird, dark, dysfunctional world, and then that tiny mustard seed comes in my heart. Now I'm married for 30 years. Four kids who all serve Christ. I've led people to Christ. Started this church. 2,000 members. We have 1,400 people on the lawn Wednesday. 20, 30 baptisms a week. Think of all the people who have ever come through these doors. Not the people who stay, but everybody who's ever come in. And that's just me. One small little mustard seed. What about you? What about all of us together? What about Billy Graham? What about everybody who's ever heard? See, there's a realm that God operates in that can't be measured. There's no metrics. You can't look at, the the wind blows where it wills. Uh, When I got saved, Jesus said, you can't even see the kingdom of God. I didn't know anything about the kingdom. Think of the story of Unbroken, Louis Zamperini. right? All that God accomplished through this man who was in concentration camps and comes back and gets saved. and, And all the fruit he had, none of us even knew the story that's going on all around the world. And this one little mustard seed is just continuing to grow. This yeast is beginning to expand. And the Bible says don't don't despise the day of small things because God grows things slowly and there's a process. Now there's another side of the parable and scholars debate this, but Jesus said it would be like a mustard seed which was put in the ground and it wouldn't grow into a mustard plant, it would grow into a large tree, so large the birds of the air could nest in the branches. Now some say, well that's just abnormal growth, it's an anomaly, it's going to grow way larger than you think, and all that's true. Others say it's going to grow so large that the birds of the air, who are the, the workers of iniquity in the parable of the soils, will come And lodge in the branches. So the kingdom of God, or what we would call the church, is so large that the workers of iniquity come. Now I tend to go that way because a third of the New Testament letters warn us about wolves in sheep's clothing and false doctrine. Paul comes to the Ephesian elders in tears, warning them about what's coming upon the church. And even today, you turn on the TV, and you see these charlatans and guys in $3,000 suits raising money, and you see all this junk in Christianity, and you think, wow, yeah, this is a large kingdom, and there are workers of iniquity. And then there's another thing we've got to look at. Uh, when I was a young Christian, I was taught about mustard seed faith. If you just had mustard seed faith, um, you could do anything, right? Mark eleven twenty three. 23, if you say that mountain, be thou cast you know, away and removed into the sea, if you don't doubt the things that you have said, uh, then you'll have the things that, that you spoke, right? You could cast that mountain in the sea. So I entered the side of the church where we would speak to mountains, we'd speak to cancer, we'd speak to this and that, and then people would lament why those things never went away. And then I went to Israel. And I stood in the place where Jesus said that. And was told by a scholar that from that view, you could see Herod's palace. And Herod wanted his palace built on a mountain, but because there were no mountains, he had them for years move dirt until it was the size of a mountain. And then he built his palace on that structure. And Jesus said to his followers, if you say to that mountain, be thou removed and cast in the sea, and don't doubt the things that you say, but you really believe God can do it, it'll be cast in the sea. If you have that faith, there's a mustard seed. And today, if you go to Israel, all you'll see is Herod's ruins. But the people that are there, Christians, are Jesus' legacy. And here we are as Christians with with, uh, Jewish tour guides looking at Roman ruins. And Jesus said that's what the kingdom can do. It wouldn't do it immediately. It would take time. Growth is slow, but over time, it's like leaven. It's like a mustard seed, and it would permeate the earth. So I was thinking, how do we conclude all this? How, how do we make it practical for our lives? In my devotional time, I'm reading 1 and 2 Kings. I'm reading about Elijah again. I'm reading F.B. Meyer's commentary. And Elijah's one of these guys I look at and I think, Lord, this is so unfair. You know, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, There seem to be like these chunks of miracles that these guys experienced. And Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17, he goes to the widow's house and She's ready to die and throw in the white flag. And he says, no, make me a meal. She says, no, I'm going to make a meal for my son and I, and then we're going to die. And he says, no, make me the meal. And you know the story that they not only eat, but she can feed the whole village. And you think, wow, that's a great miracle. And then he raises somebody from the dead. And then he goes on Mount Carmel and, and defeats the prophets of Baal. God, he calls fire down from heaven. God meets him there. And you think, oh, my gosh, this guy has seen enough for 10 lifetimes. But then this woman, Jezebel, comes into his life and is kicking the prophet's butt, left and right. He doesn't know what to do with this woman. So he runs away. He goes to Horeb. And in so many ways, he's whining and complaining, God, I need to know who you are. I know I've seen all these miracles, but God, this is a guy who was fed by the ravens. And he needs to know who God is. And here's how good God is. God said, Elijah, I'll show you. So this wind comes through and rocks the mountains. Stones are falling. But you know what the scripture says, 1 Kings 19? God wasn't in the wind. Then an earthquake comes. But God's not in the earthquake. Then fire comes, right? Fire's the presence of God. But God's not in the fire. And then he hears the voice of God. Elijah What are you doing here? And all of a sudden, Elijah, who's looking for the grandeur and the bigness of God, remembers that it was the still, small voice that mattered most. It was the still, small voice that had first spoken to him. And God spoke into his heart, and Elijah was was rebuilt. And, and, And I look at this story, and I think, God, we're always looking in the whirlwind. We're always looking where activity has been dredged up. God's over here. Let's go over here. He's dredged up over here. And I think it's wonderful to see those things. I think revival's wonderful. I think when God blows something up, that's a great experience. And I think we should go where great things are happening. But at the end of the day, if you can't open your Bible and read it and commune with God and then go live your day looking at life through the lens of God, then you're never going to make it. Because all we're doing here, this is fast food right now. Me preaching you, I mean, yes, God has given us pastors, teachers, evangelists. That's all great, but it's just fast food. Christianity is where you forge your own relationship with God, and there's that still small voice. That when you hit rough patches and dry patches and trials, you don't say, oh, I remember that song they sang on Sunday. I remember somebody got healed. Or Pastor Bob said this. No, you forget all those things and say, there is a still, small voice of my shepherd that even if I'm walking through the valley of death, that I can hear his voice. That is the realm. That is the sphere of the king. That is where we need to be. And the question I have to leave you with, and it's the question we should all ask, is who was more bound than the synagogue? A woman bent over for 18 years? Or a ruler who couldn't understand why God would ever heal on the Sabbath day? Who's more bound? And obviously, it's the ruler. Everyone that goes into ministry or church work goes into it because they want to help people. How in the world could this ruler of the synagogue who wanted to help people look at a woman bent over this is a congregation member 18 years and be filled with indignation this should have been his shining day somebody got healed in my church this is amazing 18 years everybody knows it's true you know we don't have to put something in the bulletin next week uh somebody got healed of thyroid and then you find out they really didn't get healed no she walked in bowed over for 18 years But Satan had bound him. Bound him so much, he was bound to a rule that no work should be done on the Sabbath. And he didn't understand God made Sabbath for man. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you in the eye and calling you a hypocrite? And we look at this man and we think, oh yeah, that, yeah, he's terrible. And then we think, wait a second. Where are we bound? I'm so glad and I wasn't there that in the late 60s, early 70s, Chuck Smith let hippies walk in barefoot, smelly, uh, greasy hair. Some of them smoking dope in the back, behind the church. But he let them come in because they were hungry. And he let them come in because they were thirsty. And can you imagine if he didn't? And you look at that and you say, well, what's the next generation going to be like? What's the next move of God? What, what is going to happen where we're going to say, no, that can't happen here? It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. But suffice it to say this, when God's realm comes, when the sphere of God's influence comes, when Jesus comes as king, people get loosed. And this woman didn't need an earthquake. She didn't need fire to come down in that synagogue. You know what she heard? Woman, you are loosed. She heard the still, small voice. She didn't ask to be healed, but the, the healer came. You are loosed. If you're bent over this morning, if you're bound, I want you to hear the Savior's voice. I share one time that we all get a backpack of problems in life. Everybody. Nobody skates through life. Every Christian has a backpack of problems at any given time. But there are those times where you get two backpacks. When you get two backpacks, you're bent over. And that's where the beauty of the body of Christ comes in because the hands and feet of Jesus come in. People say, you know what, let me cook you a meal. Let me, let me lift you up. Let me See, sometimes we're looking for instantaneously healing. But what about the fact that people pray and, and help us out and clean our houses and take us food shopping? Why can't we see God in that? Some of you are bent over with guilt and shame, things that you've done. Paul said, I forget all those things, and I press on to the high mark of my calling in Jesus Christ. If you're bent over by things like that today, it's because of your own mind. God is not putting that on you. And if it's on you, all you have to do is confess it to him, and with all joy, he'll forgive you. Because his burdens are easy and they're light. Whatever you think about Jesus, remember this. He came to set people free. He walked in that synagogue and loosed this woman. And the Bible says she immediately sprang up. His was the first face she had probably seen in a long, long time. Now she could have conversations, she could look at people's eyes, she could look at the stars, she could look to heaven, she could pray. That's what God does. He takes dysfunctional people from dysfunctional past, people that were alcoholics and and bound up and, and bowed over in all these different areas, and we can look into the heavens free and clear because of the work that the king has already done. And it all started in Jerusalem with 120, and it spread throughout the earth. We're going to sing one last song. And as we sing, I pray that you would hear his voice. I pray you'd hear it through the week. I pray that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that if you're part of the kingdom, God is restoring you to all dignity and to the place where he designed you to be. And he'll never bow you over and he'll never bend you over. He'll only ever lift you up. And put your feet on solid ground. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for this woman that we'll see in heaven. She has no name. But Lord, millions will be like her, men and women, who were restored to the proper place.